Oh, yeah, you know we are redoubling our commitment to playing only the smoothest bumper music available on podcasts anywhere. This is George Benson, the title track from his 1976 release, Breezin'. So smooth. Welcome to Radio Free Acton, everybody. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's good to be with you today on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. And today we are going to be talking about those two words, religion and liberty. We're going to focus primarily on economic liberty, which is one of the vital topics that we promote here at the Acton Institute, the ability of people to engage in commerce and to use their gifts and talents uh, to the best of their ability to go out and make a living for themselves and for their families, to create value and then to exchange with other people as freely as possible. We believe in that free market economic system. But we also believe that uh, in order to have that system work well, we need to have people who are virtuous, people who have a well-developed conscience. And not only should people have a well-developed conscience, they need to be able to act in accord with that conscience in pretty much every sphere of life. So we believe in economic liberty, we believe in religious liberty, and we believe the two are vital to maintaining a free society. And we're going to talk about that today with Timothy P. Carney. He is the senior political columnist at the Washington Examiner. He's also a uh, visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And uh, he was here at the Acton Institute not too long ago uh, to speak at an event co-sponsored by Acton and our sister organization, the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. They're a great group of people out in Midland, Michigan, and they've been working with us over the past few months to co-sponsor events here at our Mark Murray Auditorium, and we're glad to have them here all the time. We will be talking as well with Michael Van Beek from Mackinac, a little bit about what their mission is and uh, what they do out there in Midland on a day-to-day basis to promote and uh, defend liberty. But first, we're going to get right to uh, the interview that I did with Timothy P. Carney. He sat down uh, before his lecture here at the Acton Institute to speak with me in the Acton Studios about the topic of his speech, which was... Is big business a threat to economic liberty? Without further ado, here's my interview with Timothy P. Carney. I'm joined here in the Acton Studios today by our special guest, Timothy P. Carney. He is here with us today uh, as part of a joint event that we're holding here at the Acton Institute with our sister organization out of Midland, Michigan, the Mackinac Center, another great uh, state policy think tank. And... Uh, Tim, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you don't know, Timothy B. Carney is the senior political columnist at the Washington Examiner. He's also a visiting fellow over at the American Enterprise Institute, headed up by a uh, friend of Acton, Arthur C. Brooks, who was here earlier this year, of course, talking about what he always talks about when he comes to Acton, which is happiness. So uh, it's good to see the AEI uh, connection to Acton keeps keeps flowing. We've got to keep that pipeline Full. Flowing, yes. Well, you're here um, today to talk about a topic that is, it's, it's a pretty interesting one if you think about the stereotypical ways that the left and the right typically see each other thinking about things. Your topic for today is, is big business a danger to economic liberty? And I think the stereotypical leftist in the mind of a right-leaning person would say something to the effect of, you know, is big business a danger to economic liberty? 
uh, probably, but who cares about economic liberty in the first place? But the, the typical reaction on the right, you would think, would be, oh, no, big business. Uh, business is a good thing. We like business. We want to see more of it. And big business is great. But uh, as with everything, there's a little bit more nuance to that issue, is there not? Correct. There, there's a pervasive myth that big business and big government are rivals. And in in fact, what you have is big business and big government are often in collusion against economic liberty. And the most common form is just simple corporate welfare, that big business wants handouts from government. And then the other uh, aspect is big business often wants regulations, which keeps out com- competition and smaller competitors. And for these reasons, if you're somebody who's out there fighting for economic liberty, half the time you have to be fighting against big business. Now, now, when you talk about this issue, um, you, you let, let me play devil's advocate here for just a second. And this, this goes to the issue of the growth of government over the last quarter century. Um, if you're the CEO or the chairman of a company like, say, General Electric or Boeing or some other major corporation, and you see your business grow and you have, uh, you have outlets or affiliates across the nation and you're, you're, you're raking in the money, you're doing pretty well – doesn't it only make sense to have that legislative affairs division that 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 you're, you would kind of be negligent yes. if you didn't focus on government? Absolutely. Businesses need to lobby. It is a First Amendment protected right to lobby. And if you don't lobby, you're going to get eaten for lunch. But the the difference is that I, I tend to report on and write on and talk about not cases where businesses are saying, please don't. Uh, regulate us out of business or don't tax us out of business, but cases where businesses are lobbying for special favors. So a clear example, I mean, here in Grand Rapids for years, there was uh, opposition to the idea of food trucks. The opposition was not coming from, you know, Grand Rapidians for sidewalk safety. It was coming from the brick and mortar restaurants who didn't want the competition. And so they proposed new regulations on food trucks that would effectively keep them out. We saw it very clear in Washington, D.C., where the, uh, the restaurant lobby there was trying to block food trucks from being able to park on sidewalks anywhere that was anywhere close to a restaurant. And so this situation led to a case where the city council was considering an effective ban on food trucks in downtown D.C. Again, this was big government, which would have been these regulations, serving big business, which were the sitting restaurants. Uh, and to the harm of small businesses, which were the food trucks, and consumers, obviously, which were people who wanted more options in what they could eat for lunch. Yeah, the, there's a real temptation when you run a business. And, and, and at Acton, we have to talk about the difficulty of starting up a business and yep. building an enterprise. Um, there's a temptation that once you've tasted a little bit of success and you see that there's an opportunity to use the levers of power, the levers of governmental power, to advance, to give yourself a little advantage or a little heads up over someone else who might be coming up behind you, it's kind of hard to resist. I mean, it's human nature. Yeah, and this is a, a good way to think of regulation. Regulation is often – it's always pitched as the way that government is protecting the ordinary guy from big business. But it should often be seen as a, the tool that government uses to protect big business from competition, that you want to come up – if you're a businessman in a realm of free and open competition. But once you've established yourself as a dominant player, guess what? 
Free and open competition is a kind of scary idea. So we see it in every industry. Tobacco, uh, Philip Morris dominated with 50% of the, uh, of the cigarette market, and they lobbied consistently for more tobacco regulation. Light bulbs, that's one of the things I'll be talking about here. It's a situation where General Electric had 50% of the light bulb market, but they didn't like the fact that the free market gave them very small profit margins on the traditional bulb. So they lobbied for regulations that would force people to buy the more expensive bulbs. And so these the business is often faced with a situation where maybe they supported free enterprise in the beginning and then later on they see, well, free enterprise will make us have to compete and innovate more. But we don't have to do that if we get a regulation that protects us from competition. And I think that's really an important thing for free market people to do is to realize they need to hold accountable not just the government. Yeah, obviously the politicians bear the uh, the ultimate uh, blame for this. But they also need to hold accountable the businessmen and say, we're not here for you to make a profit. We're here for you to do what you want to do freely. And in fact, in a free market, it's going to be harder for you to make a profit. Let, let me ask you, this This might be a bit of a head-scratcher. It's kind of a chicken-and-the-egg question. Is the problem can, – can we pinpoint a, play, a mm-hmm. point where this be, started becoming a real problem, and where did it become a problem? Did it become a problem because politicians figured out that they could – earn favor from certain constituencies mm-hmm. and thus politicians started doing this and business was sort of groomed to uh, accept these favors and lobby for more or were the businesses pushing first or, or is it just so messy that no one can yeah i mean I, I think the chicken and egg analogy is apt because it is hard to discern the original route i and in uh the first book i wrote in 2006 the big ripoff i go back to alexander hamilton pushing george washington to crack down on the uh, moonshiners in western Pennsylvania. This was the Whiskey Rebellion, where they weren't paying the whiskey tax. The driving force behind Hamilton doing this was the East Coast distilleries that were very close to and very happy paying that whiskey tax. So all of this stuff happens together. But it's very important to see both sides of it, both that business often is the initiator of big government. But then when it comes to lobbying, which I cover at the examiner, a big thing I say is that lobbyists aren't necessarily the way that they're portrayed as, you know, the way that business corrupts government. I often see lobbyists as the troops that politicians deploy into the business sector. That mm. it, it, It's the other way around. Government is corrupting business often. I When I meet with entrepreneurs and I talk to them, they aren't simply pursuing maximum profit. That's part of what they're doing, but they're trying to you know, change the world, be the best, win the game, sell better than anybody else, and that when government sort of comes and gloms onto them, their pursuit of profit suddenly gets detached from winning the competition, and it becomes quelching the competition. Yeah. The, the, um, inter- another interesting topic, I want to shift gears a little bit here, uh, but it, it's sort of related. Um, a couple of weeks ago, March 31st, you had a column that you wrote for the Washington Examiner. It was titled, uh, The Left Wages Total War and Then mm-hmm. Plays Victim. And we're talking here, of course, about religious liberty. We're talking about the Indiana Religious Freedom Restoration Act and the brouhaha that erupted around that. One of the interesting things about that um, that whole scenario was how quickly these large corporations lined up Yep. On the side opposing religious liberty, um, 
And and the question is, I mean, and, and this goes even for you know most famously Apple with Tim Cook talking yep. in the Washington Post uh, in his op-ed, but also even a company like Walmart in in Arkansas. Walmart is famously headquartered in in Bentonville, Arkansas, and Arkansas was considering this, a similar type of legislation. Their CEO called up Governor Hutchinson down there and said, "Look, no, we're not. We don't want to have this happen." What is the impetus for corporate America lining up on these sorts of issues as well? Because it seems like all the big companies for some time have been yeah. uh, have been sort of uh, in lockstep on some of these social issues as well. Well, so on the social issues, I mean, for me, if I'm socially liberal, I would look at the way corporate America has been behaving and I would think this is a great argument for free enterprise. They have <laughs> they have pressure from investors, from consumers to embrace, you know, uh, benefits for same-sex partners or same-sex marriage, and they do that. And from my free market perspective, I say, okay, that's great. These businesses are going to do what these businesses are going to do. But then the next step is going ahead and trying to regulate your smaller competitors to force them to behave the same way you're behaving. And that's what I see when I see Walmart doing that. Walmart has smaller competitors who might say, okay, we'll sell whatever to whomever, but if you ask us to participate in a gay wedding or if you ask us to sell alcohol maybe if you're a, a, an evangelical business that doesn't want to do that, then they're saying they want to act according to their conscience. But if giant – uh, publicly traded corporation isn't ultimately really going to be acting according to a conscience, but according to profit demands. And that's where you see sort of this clash of, of business and government. And the interesting thing to me is that the, for the liberal argument here that you can't refuse to cater or you can't refuse to photograph a gay wedding or you can't refuse to uh, do business that offends your own conscience – well, that's saying that the only legitimate purpose of a business is pursuit of profit. And <laughs> that sounds like an old like free market thing. But in fact, if you look closer and you look at a lot of free market arguments, they often say, no, sometimes we won't pursue profit. And if I'm arguing against corporate welfare, occasionally I'm arguing, I'm telling a business, you know what? Your state government may give you an eminent domain taking where they take away property from a bunch of poor families and give it to you for a factory, and I think you should say no. So it ends up with this situation where the left increasingly is telling businesses, if you pursue anything but a profit, you're wrong. And on the right, we're telling these guys, you need to do what you think is right, even if it sacrifices profit. It, it brings to mind the uh, the crusade for corporate social responsibility. Yep. Uh, obviously, the left is very uh, involved in pushing ideas of corporate social responsibility, but only when the responsibility in question lines up with certain yep. left-leaning or leftist views. And that, and that uh, the opposite, the non-discrimination sort of push against the religious freedom laws is saying that you may not, by law, have a corporate social responsibility that we find offensive. But on the other hand, and this is, a, I think, a very important message for people who believe in free enterprise, is there has to be some sort of corporate social responsibility push from our side. Now, social issues, I think every business should be allowed to have whatever goal they want. And on the economic issues, if you believe in free markets, you have to say occasionally you must sacrifice profit for the sake of 
defending the free enterprise system. And that that is a big part of what I talk about is you might get a handout here or regulation to protect you there or an eminent domain taking there that defends you and helps you in the short run. And maybe by the time you retire a CEO, you come out ahead. But that's not right. If you're making profit off of something like the free market, you have a moral obligation to stand up for. And sometimes that means saying, no, I'm going to oppose benefits and government privileges, even those that accrue to my own business. You have a couple of books to your credit. I want to make sure that you get a chance to promo those because I know that you know you want to sell books too. I believe in capitalism. I, well, we do too. And uh, your the last book, uh, Obamanomics, yes. came out. The, the subtitle, fantastic. Uh, profit. This was two thousand nine, right? Yes. How Barack Obama is bankrupting you and enriching his Wall Street friends, corporate lobbyists, and union bosses. Now that's a very subtle title. <laughs> yes, um, I want to give you an opportunity to explain a little bit. Yeah. So um, you may not gather from the subtitle that that's in fact critical of. President Obama. But yes, President Obama ran as being the guy who would take on the lobbyists and the special interests. And then he turned out Obamacare, which was a gift to the hospital lobby, as you can tell by the way they're trying to implement Obamacare on the state level, the drug lobby, and even uh, it was a sort of deal with the devil with the insurance industry. Um, the, the devil in that case is not the insurance industry, just so that I'm clear. <laughs> um, but the uh, And then so much of his stimulus and other things were what I call corporate big business and big government in bed together. Um, and I don't think Obama is extraordinary in that regard. I just think he's extraordinarily hypocritical in that regard. And so Obamanomics walks through whether it's tobacco regulation, Obamacare, stimulus, Wall Street bailouts, all these cases where Obama's increasing the power of government was helping big business at the expense of smaller businesses, consumers, and taxpayers. You also uh – have a, uh, a a collection the Washington Examiner put together of some of your columns called uh, which fantastic title by the way the Carnesian Lens which yes. I really I really <laughs> like that um, a Kindle book uh, three ninety nine so affordable that's three dollars and ninety nine cents not three hundred probably yes. worth three hundred ninety nine dollars yes. though but again uh, you can find uh, Tim's books on uh, Amazon and other. Reputable online booksellers, maybe even some disreputable online booksellers, yes. but uh, and maybe your brick and mortar stores as well. But uh, Tim, I want to thank you for stopping by here at the Acton Studios. We're looking forward to your lecture today, and uh, thanks again. Appreciate My your pleasure. time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Tim uh, Timothy P. Carney, who is speaking at the Acton Institute in a co-sponsored event. Uh, with the Mackinac Center, and I'm pleased to welcome to the Acton Studios Michael Van Beek from Mackinac. He is their director of research over there. Michael, welcome to uh, welcome to Acton. It's good to have you guys back again. Thank you. It's great to be here every time uh, we come. We, we always enjoy our time here. Well, uh, Mackinac is, uh, for those who don't know, Mackinac is, I guess we could call ourselves sister organizations um, or brother organizations. We don't want to be gender specific here. <laughs> um, but Mackinac is, is a sister organization to Acton. Acton is um, you know, has our focus on, on religion and liberty, but Mackinac is what I, I think it's it's safe to say a state policy think tank. Is that, that a good way to describe what you guys do? Yeah, and, and our focus um, primarily is on economic issues. Um, so the things that we focus our research on are, are fiscal, fiscal policy, labor policy, and education policy. Education policy is one of the things that we, we spend a lot of time and effort on, uh, and that probably far uh, falls as, as far away from core economics as you can get. But, but our, our thought on is that from a state perspective, you know, we spend more money on uh, public schools uh, than any other 
program that the state operates. So if we ignored that, it would be sort of hard to to talk about how the state should allocate its resources. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, if you don't get if you don't get education right, uh, it might not matter what else you get right. A lot of other things flow from that. That's right. Um, and Mackinac is, is focused right right here in the state of Michigan. Mackinac is a, a state policy think tank. So you're located in Midland, Michigan. And uh, you've been – how long has Mackinac been around now? Acton is, Acton's 25 years old this year. Mackinac is similar. We're, we're just a couple years older, so we're, we're just a little bit uh, your older sister. Oh, you're uh, older. I, yeah, didn't, I, I thought yeah. you were a little bit younger, but correct me, please. When, yeah, when did you 19, guys get founded? 1988. 88, okay. Uh, so we're on, we're on 27 years. Uh, and, um, and yeah, we, we deal primarily with Michigan specific issues. So, uh, we're, we're not like the heritage foundation or the Cato Institute that do national issues. Uh, we, we focus specifically on issues that are pertinent to Michigan. Yeah. Really one of the first, I think, I think Mackinac is one of the first state specific think tanks that, that was out there. It's kind of a leading edge organization in that way. We, we are one of the oldest, um, there, there are more than 60, uh, state-based think tanks like us around the country now. Um, so we, we, were, we are one of the oldest. We used to be one of the few, uh, but now we're, we're just one of the many. So well, that's I, great. I, I can say, I, uh, I, back if, I, if I go back uh, about 15 years or so, I, I worked in the Michigan legislature for a number of years as a legislative assistant, and uh, Mackinac stuff would come in, and it was always the best-produced, uh, best-looking stuff, but it was also just great intellectual content and uh it's it's all over the michigan legislature i know in mackinac has been an influential organization in michigan uh since the the early 90s really with the uh ingler administration and the really the reform-minded administration that came in there uh mackinac has been hugely influential so you guys are doing great work tell people where they can go to find uh, mackinac on the web sure yeah it's real easy it's www.mackinac.org and mackinac is with a c M-A-C-K-I-N-A-C. Uh, if you're from Michigan, you know that. Um, that's where you go to get fudge. That's right. It's like the island, not the city. It's good fudge, but then the website is good public policy research. So, that's right. <laughs> uh, Michael Van Beek, it's, it's really a pleasure to have you here at, at Acton. We love having these co-sponsored events, and, uh, and thank you for taking a few minutes to talk about Mackinac. Absolutely. Appreciate My pleasure. It. That is our podcast for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Free Acton. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Thanks once again to Timothy P. Carney, senior political columnist over at the Washington Examiner. It was great to have you here in the studios, and we appreciate uh, both uh, your time in the studios and the lecture you delivered here at the Acton Institute. Also, thanks to uh, Michael Van Beek of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy for coming in and uh, spending a little time with us to tell us about uh, the work of the Mackinac Center. A great organization over there, and you can find all the information you need about Mackinac and what they do on a day-to-day basis at their website, Mackinac.org. That's M-A-C-K-I-N-A-C.org. Acton uh, blogs every day over at our Power Blog, blog.acton.org. Be sure to check that out for news, information, links, and commentary from an Acton perspective Monday through Friday. Barring holidays, of course. Uh, We do take the occasional day off, but the vast majority of the time you're going to find new content every day at blog.acton.org. And, of course, you can find our radio-free Acton archives at radio.acton.org. Dot org. Thanks once again for joining us here on Radio Free Act, and it's always good to be with you 
on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermoss. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time when we bring you another edition of Radio Free Acton. Have a good day, everybody.